Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Last day of the season edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. We did a Twitter NBA show, watched all the games today. Got to get to the playoff seedings being set. A little bit of tonight's action. Don't want to focus on that too much because it's not like there are some awesome games other than, of course, that Sixers-Knicks classic and that Orlando Pistons classic that determined some lottery positioning. And then, of course, we got to get to our playoff preview, part one of that coming up after we talk about today. Our sponsors today are stamps.com. Use that cap space code. To get a four-week trial, including postage and a digital scale at stamps.com. And the HBO J. Cole special for your eyes only, airing at 10 Eastern and 11 Pacific on April 15th. That's this Saturday. So let's just run through what, in general, what the results were and what ended up happening in terms of making this playoff field get set today. We can start at the top of the East. That's, that was in many ways the most important, even though there wasn't much drama. The Celtics, a win would have put them in. And while they were nip and tuck most of the way with the Bucks, they ended up winning 112-94. And on top of that, Cleveland rested LeBron and Kyrie, and they lost 98-83 at home to the Toronto Raptors. So basically, either way, it would have been Boston in the one and Cleveland in the two. Yeah, the Celtics actually were only up two uh, through and trailed by as much as 10 in the second quarter but it never really was close between the Raps and Cavaliers and uh, the Raps ended up going by 15 the Cavaliers did not even play their big three in that one at all and the the Raps led by 10 basically throughout the entire game so it wasn't too sphincter tightening for the Celtics that could have been a pretty horrendous loss for them three and four of course were already set as were five and six so that left the non-drama at the bottom of the east bracket as suspected the Nets and Hawks both did not play their guys and that meant that the Bulls and Pacers both had pretty easy wins. The Hawks made it very slightly interesting in the fourth quarter, getting within about nine or so, but uh, the Pacers did manage to take that one, and uh, that left the Heat, who were playing against the Wizards team that barely brought anyone with them, and uh, although the Heat won to get to 41 and 41, then that uh, they lost the tiebreaker to Chicago, and that meant that uh, the Bulls get in and the Heat are out, despite, I think many would say, the Heat potentially being more deserving. Eh, deserving got nothing to do with it. But Miami went 11-30 and 30 in the first half of the year and 30-11 and 11 in the second half, which is amazing. And yet they're still on the outside looking in. And we, I think I won't know how to feel about their season until we see who they retain and who leaves from this year's team. Because, you know, obviously yeah. it's and, nice And who for they get reputation. in free agency, too. Who yeah. they get in free agency, too. Yeah. Um, you know, Rachel Nichols had a good point on the jump today that it was really a cruel irony 
for the Heat who could have tanked it at 11 and 30 and we certainly advocated that they do so instead they fought back went 30 and 11 in the second half I saw a stat today no team had ever been 12 or more games under 500 and gotten back to 500 and the Heat were 19 games under 500 and got back to 500 just an incredible performance from Colt Spolstra and uh, the Heat organization and a shame really that they were not rewarded with a playoff berth and the cruel irony was that you know teams that were tanking teams that were resting uh teams that were basically not trying when the heat did try so hard that their efforts ended up unrewarded and maybe you know the bulls and pacers would have won if the hawks and and nets had tried i understand why the hawks didn't because they're resting for the playoffs but the nets didn't really have that same excuse Uh, so with that being the case at the the same point you know i i agree with that whole sentiment but inside the last two weeks of the season they lost at home to denver and they lost to the knicks so yeah, I mean they they had a hard they had a tough road to hoe to get there, but switching one of those two games puts them in the playoffs. Yeah, and they could have beaten Chicago, and the Nets did beat the Bulls earlier this week, uh, and the Heat had a ton of close games earlier in the year that they could have won. I'm sensitive to that argument for sure. I mean, if you really want to get out of it and make it the playoffs, then you know it's possible to win enough games to do that. Uh, but nonetheless, really, I think a shame that this heat team is not in it and uh you know or at least that we didn't see competitive games uh at the uh especially with the celtics getting the one because that would have been a a shockingly competitive series no i think you're right and we will do our uh eastern conference playoffs tomorrow but uh, i agree with you we'll talk about what happened in the rest of the league and and also uh, how the final uh, lottery seating worked out and how it worked out but first this from our friends at stamps.com the thing that i like the most about stamps.com it's not what everyone talks about which of course is awesome that you don't really have to go to the post office anymore since that can be quite a chore especially in my town it's that it works at any time and you don't have to leave your house you can schedule pickups for packages very easily you can buy and print official u.s postage for any letter or package and you know if you want to do some work at say two in the morning when you're done recording a podcast for example stamps.com is always open it doesn't close like the post office does if you're one of these people like me that likes to buy clothes online i mentioned before that i can be kind of a difficult fit and then a lot of times those companies won't actually include return postage but now instead of just letting it sit there and procrastinating and going to the post office and then finding out that i waited too long to return the item i can just do it right away with stamps.com and right now, of course, with stamps.com, you can use my code CAPSPACE, easy to remember because we talk about CAPSPACE all the time on the program, for this special offer, a four-week trial that includes postage and a digital scale. It's quite handy. And of course, to let them know that you came from us. So go to stamps.com. First thing you need to do to let them know you came from us, click on that radio microphone at the top of the homepage, type in CAPSPACE, and then go ahead and get your free four-week trial, including the postage and a digital scale. That's stamps.com, enter code CAPSPACE, stamps.com, never go to the post office again. So we do then have the rest of the bracket set two seven is Cavs Pacers that'll be an enjoyable series LeBron James and Paul George matching up and then one eight Boston and Chicago and we had already known what the uh three six and four five series were going to be last night then in the Western Conference briefly the only drama was who would host the four five series between the Clippers and the Jazz the Jazz beat the Spurs in a, a fun game one we talked about a fair amount on the Twitter NBA show second screen and then Steph put the onus on the Clippers that if they beat the Kings, they would have home court in that series. And they followed suit and did so winning 
115 to 95. Yeah, that game was within two early in the third quarter, but the Clippers inexorably pulled away. Uh, that did fe- that game did feature Grant Napier, the Kings announcer, calling Papianis Papa G, though. So that uh, was quite validating for me. I believe I was uh, the first one to start calling him that. Uh, not that Grant even knows that I did that, but uh, it's good to see it catching on nonetheless. Hey, he could be a friend of the pod. We don't know. <laughs> So the more interesting, though, really tonight was the incredible competition at the bottom of the lottery. We know that the first three were already set in terms of the seating. That was the Brooklyn Nets. And we can go through here as well and give what some of the odds are for these teams. So uh, the Nets, now the Celtics, of course, who officially exercised their swap earlier this week. Uh, They have a 25% chance at the number one pick, 64% chance of getting into the top three, and then the lowest they can go is number four. They have a 36% chance of getting that pick. The Suns are 20% chance at the number one pick, 56% chance at top three, and most likely, again, number four pick at 32%, and the worst they could possibly get is number five, and then the LA Lakers cost themselves a nine percent chance basically at keeping their pick they will have a 47 percent chance of getting in the top three 16 percent chance at the top pick and uh the worst possible of course is losing their pick top three protected to the 76ers so those were locked in then it got interesting after that i'm smiling because it was not only a lot of fun but it was a great use of your setup with two tvs one on top of the other because the two games that mattered the most to the lottery were happening at the same time and were both both incredibly close. So the 76ers and Magic were tied at 28 wins and playing at the same time. Orlando against at home against the Pistons and then the Sixers in New York at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. They were going on both games were kind of I mean after the Magic took a gigantic lead and then blew it. They were going back and forth and eventually it ended up with the the result I think we both wanted for various reasons which was a narrow Sixers loss and a narrow magic win yeah this game down the stretch was crazy it was tied at 104 and then i think the teams scored on basically every possession uh marshall plumley had a dunk alex alex poitras playing at the three he's a natural four uh, on the, the sixers uh, driving in for a layup ron baker made a three tiago splitter made a ridiculous hook shot coming across the lane to give the sixers the lead inside of a minute then justin holiday hit a three to put the sixers up two. nick stauskas that made a ridiculous three i'm sorry holiday made a three to put the knicks up two. nick stauskas that made a three to put the sixers up by one and then maurice endor with 18 seconds remaining they ran a play for him out of the triangle. He came across the lane, shot a fadeaway, and it rimmed in off the front rim, off the backboard, and then dropped. And uh, Nick Stauskas would then miss uh, his three-pointer to win it. And after uh, Plumley blocked Stauskas's layup, a play in which Stauskas attempted to drive the lane with three Sixers already standing in the lane. <laughs> Uh, there was a jump ball. Stauskas got it back and uh, threw up a prayer that was uh, thankfully for Sixers fans not answered. And so with the magic win, the Sixers now the number four seed in the lottery in their own right. And of course, they will be able to swap with the Kings. And they also have that chance at the Lakers pick 
as well. So really everything that the Sixers, other than Joel Embiid getting hurt again, happened for them. They played well this year. They had a great future and now they're still going to be the number four seed in the lottery. What about the Magic? The Magic now, so by virtue of winning, they are in sole possession of the fifth most ping pong balls in that they had, it was a couple of plays by Alfred Payton that really decided the game. They have a 29.1% chance of getting a top three pick, 8.8% of getting the number one pick, and the most likely is number six. And then that led into the other drama, if you will, which was for well, the kind of- Can we talk the... about that game a little bit? Of course. Because- uh... Aaron Gordon had 30. He was still in at the end. They also were playing Peyton. Uh, they did bring in Hazonia and uh, Marcus Steven George's Zimmerman. Hunt, who's yeah, who is a call-up, and, and Steven Zimmerman. Uh, but nonetheless, they're playing some of their young guys still who were playing well, and that uh, won them the game. The Pistons, actually, for their part, they were locked into their lottery seat already, but they're playing some of their guys, uh, KCP, Tobias Harris, uh, chief among them, Ish Smith, who's their, their top point guard at this point. But uh, the Magic were, were able to pull it out in... Uh, you know that's uh that's not good the magic cost the i mean they, they could have at least just gone with you know all guys on the end of their bench down the end and so the magic going from four to five they reduced their chance at the number one pick by three percent reduced their chance of getting into the top three by nine percent and you know if nobody move neither the sixers or magic move up uh, they are going to be just a pick lower now and that's uh that means something <laughs> that's uh there's a worse player usually available uh one pick below uh, especially when you're talking about the top five which we are one small thing there is they would actually have been in, it would have been a coin flip with a six or so they wouldn't have gone it's not really right. it's the four plus five but not oh that big yeah a deal. okay that's right yeah so but, it's basically half of what i just said is what right it's themselves. it's half it's half of that and and also you know if they lose the coin toss it's you know it's it's different from there but ready to move on to the morass after that yes absolutely the the knicks uh hurt themselves by winning as well right so, although i mean they certainly didn't play anybody like they try although carmelo played a little bit and you know that might have pushed them over the edge he wanted to play they played uh, they, played Hernan Go- they played Hernan gomez it for moments and so but basically what happened is minnesota lost they were already at 31 wins minnesota lost and the knicks won so the knicks moved up from being sixth by themselves to being in a tie for sixth and seventh so they will split those combinations and then one team will win a coin toss and given it six and seven they each have like a you know like an 18 percent chance of making it into the top three odds are they're yes. going to both fall out and so if they both fall out then the winner of the coin flip gets one more combination out of a thousand if it's uneven and gets the gets the better pick if neither makes it in so that's there and then sacramento was so then the next group was sacramento dallas New Orleans. Sacramento and Dallas both had 32 wins, and then New Orleans, whose pick is going to Sacramento unless it's top three, they were at 33. What ended up happening was Dallas beat Memphis, so they moved up to 33, so they would have been in a tie with New Orleans slash Sacramento, but then the Pelicans in the last game of the night, the Pelicans beat the Blazers, so they moved up to 34, so those ones are actually all straight picks, so Sacramento has the eighth best odds, Dallas has the ninth best odds, and then New Orleans has the tenth best odds, but if it's not top three, which is only a 4% chance, then that pick goes to Sacramento as compensation for DeMarcus Cousins. 
Yeah, and the Mavs tried their darndest to lose at Memphis. Memphis actually played Conley and Gasol for about 20 minutes or so early in the game, but then it was Nicholas Brasino hitting big shots down the stretch. Uh, Dallas rested Barnes and Dirk. They played most of their young guys most of the way, but those guys who have actually played a lot of the year uh, outstripped Memphis's young guys, and Dallas ended up winning it uh, pretty comfortably in the last minute. So that uh, somewhat of a uh, damaging loss for the Mavs, who probably could have stood to tank a little bit harder than they did down the end but they well you know, they, they did only win two of their players. last 10 games <laughs> so yeah all right I, but, all right but, i'll uh i'll take it back then they, they, but, uh, but the other the other impact there is sacramento by being eighth by themselves it, it makes it almost impossible for them to send that pick to chicago it could still be involved in a pick swap with the sixers but in order for them to pick 11th which is what is required for it to go to chicago three teams below them have to jump up in the same draft and i don't know how they distribute the combinations that might actually be impossible yeah yeah that's uh it would be pretty difficult so uh, the hornets pistons nuggets and heat will round out the rest of the lottery at the 11 through 14 seeds and each of those teams basically has an average about a three percent chance of making it into the top three uh pretty small uh, there and uh so that'll do it i guess uh for the tankathon i mean this was so bad that we need to remember this when we're doing our predictions for next year uh with the amount of resting that there was i mean maybe we should just look at like only the first 70 games of the season or first 65 games of the season we're saying oh yeah this team you know uh, performed at this level now we're going to use that as a baseline for projecting performance next year i think that's a very good idea if we can remember it anything else you want to say about this before we get into the previews i'm happy at least a little bit of it was fun you know it it is really a a roll of the dice in terms of who's gonna who's gonna end up being competitive at the end of the year but with the incentives the way they are and having so much settled so early it felt inevitable this year that it was going to kind of go in this direction and unfortunately it did yeah i guess the the only other thing maybe to note uh we recorded earlier today uh, kevin durant did look very good today against the lakers he had 24 in the first half i didn't see exactly how he was doing it uh but you know so so maybe that's an, another thing i'm not going to say that because he did well against that skeleton lakers team that, that he's back or anything but certainly a step in the right direction especially the fact that he hit all three of his three pointers he had been 0 for 9 uh coming since coming back from the injuries so uh kindly disregard or at least modify slightly that section of the discussion to come which we shall begin right now all right playoff preview time we we're able to get started actually a little bit early this year so let's go just one through four in the west starting with the Golden State Warriors against the Portland Trailblazers, likely to start on Saturday. These are actually the top two teams in net rating since the All-Star break, which is pretty impressive considering Yusuf Nurkic has already missed about two weeks with his non-displaced fracture. And the Blazers haven't been nearly as good without him, but it is worth acknowledging how well they've played overall since the trade. Yeah, and in fact, last year, they were very good late as well. Uh, 18 and 7 since the break, as you mentioned. Uh, so I think that's the second best record as well after the Warriors 19 and 6. Um, but of course, as with the Warriors and, and all these other teams, it's a question of degree. The Warriors 10.9 net rating since the All-Star break. Blazers 5.7. And pretty amazing too that 5.7 is the second best net rating in the league since the break. Really, we have not seen any teams playing at an extremely high rate. Uh, but last year when they started going to Harkless and Aminu at forwards, they started playing really well. Now though, with Nurkic, out that changes things quite a bit they are getting more out of Noah Vonley and I think 
the big place to start is what is Terry Stotts going to do as far as who he should start? We saw him start in really their last competitive game uh Myers Leonard who played very well against the Jazz uh, a game that I was at when Lillard had 59 points uh but they also have been playing Vonley at center and Aminu and Harkless together uh, as well so uh, where do you think Stotts is going to go in terms of a starting lineup against this Warriors team my instinct is Vonley I think he's been playing better recently but I was going to ask you who you think but Vonley has- at center yeah yeah, Von Light Center. I was going to ask you what As you think. As opposed to him at Power Forge. Yeah. Correct. What okay. what you think in terms of which of their two centers, if we're counting Von Lee and Leonard as the options, is a tougher matchup for Zaza Pachulia, who we expect to still be the starting center for the Warriors, whether he plays fewer minutes or not. Yeah, I'm of two minds on this, right? Because you would think that Leonard is a little bit more difficult. They could also just put Pachulia on Noah Von Lee and then go with Green on Myers Leonard. And, and Leonard also is eminently switchable uh, for this Warriors team so I I don't think that Leonard is necessarily going to be that effective against the Warriors and then of course he's a a defensive nightmare in any kind of pick and roll situation any kind of iso or switch situation as well I think I would probably go with Vonley at center he actually has been excellent switching we'll see whether he can do that against golden state because it's he's been effective switching in terms of just like okay there's a pick and roll we switch it now it's an iso how good is he gonna be if now you have to switch all the way out on shooters coming off screens as well that's the aspect of switching against the warriors that makes things a little bit more difficult so but i think i probably would start with him just because i think that warriors starting lineup uh with kd kind of working his way back pachulia could be considered a little bit of a weakness in some matchups others i think he's an underrated player so i think i would just try to get out to great starts especially before andre iguodala comes back in the game because you know that those lineups where the warriors go with west at center dream on green presumably is going to get plenty of time at center as well uh, that that's going to be a key time so maybe see if you can build up a little bit of an advantage take the crowd out of the game early uh in uh some of these matchups especially at golden state so i, I probably would start vonley we'll see whether that's the direction that stats goes though because you can also make the argument hey we got to get sub minutes out of leonard maybe we do that while there's a traditional center on the floor uh just so we can get those minutes out of the way i'm disappointed for a million reasons about the use of Nurkic injury but one of the most compelling questions of the playoffs was how he would fare against lineups with Draymond Green at center. We still could see that. It's just going to probably be later in the series. He's probably going to be reevaluated at some point in the near future. But Nurkic is just such a, he's just such a bull down there that he's a different type of challenge for those lineups. I think the Warriors would have a lot of benefits offensively, but I would just want to see from a theoretical perspective how it works. And because the Warriors are going to be in this kind of striking this balance of how much do they want to use Draymond Center this year is a lot clearer than it was in prior years when they had a healthy Andrew Bogut, which was not all the time, of that the the five out death lineup, whatever you want to call it, the Hamptons five, is the Warriors' best five-man unit. So how much will Kerr go to it and how quickly will he go to it if, if they start to trail? Yeah, that's going to be an interesting question. I would have thought that he would try to go some with Green at center a little bit in that game against the Jazz on Monday just to kind of get everyone back in the rhythm of seeing how that goes. I mean, that lineup just has not logged that much time together and while it has been effective at times uh, down the stretch of games there's really only been one game where that lineup has played extremely well that was the Miami game which they actually ended up losing on the road so yeah th- that's going to be a question I do think though that they're not necessarily going to need that here uh 
because Golden State, you have to imagine, is going to rock. If Golden State uh, were going against Nurkic, maybe it would be a little bit more. I I think you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who's going to pick this series in greater than five games, though. Right. It's going to be a challenge for Portland, especially not only to win games at Oracle, but remember last year, the Blazers were closer to full strength than the Warriors were. Steph Curry missed the first three games that series, came back in game four, had that 17-point overtime and everything that happened there. And that was a very, very competitive five-game series, but still a five-game series. This time, we don't know what's happening with, with Yusuf Nurkic. Their backups for him with Ed Davis still being out are weaker than they would have expected otherwise. And something that I wanted to mention briefly is that as somebody who covers the Warriors, I've noticed that over the past couple of years, they've done a much better job defending teams they've faced previously in the playoffs. And while the Blazers at full strength are different than they were last year, those theories and testing things out really do pay off. And so unless Harkless and Alfred Aminu shoot much better from three this year, those same general defensive strategies will largely be in place. Yeah, and the, another thing that the Blazers have tried at times against Golden State is going with Aminu at center, and they do have more ability to do that now with Evan Turner, another reasonably effective defensive wing in the lineup, but those lineups have always just gotten completely destroyed by the Warriors. So it's, and they'll try to switch everything, but really Lillard, McCollum, they don't have the personnel to really play that way, and so that's why this Blazers team has never really had much of a chance at stopping the Warriors. Uh, but you could see CJ uh, and... And Dame Lillard just going off in one game, one of the games in Portland and making this a, a five game series. I mean, you're always you always want to pick a five game series instead of a sweep, because then uh, even if you think there's a greater chance of it go, being a sweep, if it goes six, you don't look as dumb if you picked five. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and I, I think uh, that when, when you look at Portland's offense, they have players that can go off enough that if you're going to, I don't think you're going to necessarily keep them at bay four times in a row. And something I wanted to, to talk about in this is Portland has one of the best offensive backcourts in the league. And how would you assign with the base lineups? How would you assign Clay Thompson? Would you keep him primarily on CJ and then let Curry have the have the main assignment on Lillard? Or would you switch that up and create a cross match? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Kerr will definitely start off, basically. That's that's what he likes to do, generally. And also, one thing that the Blazers deserve credit for is if they try to hide Curry on Aminu or Evan Turner, they will actually go into the post of them. They, they, they'll run a nice play two or three times a game where... They have uh, Mo Harkless just duck right in and, and for a post up when he's being guarded by a smaller player. Uh, so that's something to, to look for a little bit. Yeah, I think they probably just go conventionally. CJ is a little bit more reliant uh, in the mid range, and Thompson can be a little bit more. I think that he'll he's he would be better on either of them, but I think there's more value added in Thompson on McCollum because McCollum can't just like kind of push him off because uh, Thompson is pretty strong and he has good length and then going on the pick and roll Thompson has the length to challenge his mid-ranger from behind uh, Thompson also was fantastic on McCollum in the second half of a, a game that they played without Lillard uh, where McCollum had just gone off in the first half early at Oracle so I think they'll remember that probably start off with Thompson I wanted to ask though for the Warriors I actually, 
I'm not sure about this, but I actually might feel better about them sweeping this series if KD weren't back yet. I mean, not that he's not, I think he's going to help them in the long run. Obviously, he's a great player, uh, but just looks a little bit uncomfortable out there, I felt. Um, and they're trying to reintegrate him a little bit. For him personally, there's going to be a dichotomy of, all right, how aggressive does he want to be? Does he want to just shoot some threes? He's actually been missing his threes this year overall, and he has he's 0 for 9 since he returned. Uh, and and, you know, is he just going to spot up more? Is he going to try to be more aggressive, go one-on-one more, just be more of a play finisher? How effective, if he does try to create more of his own offense, will he be? I mean, he's wearing a, a brace. He doesn't, he also doesn't look nearly as comfortable defensively sliding his feet either. And just from the layoff, it looks to be a little bit out of it in terms of, you know, switching, being just like right there executing the defensive scheme. So I do think it's going to take a while for him to get back. And, and I still maintain that I don't think we're going to see peak KD until deep in the playoffs, if at all, uh, at coming back from that grade two MCL strain. It takes a long time. And I'm most interested, you talked more about the offensive end and the defensive end. I'm more interested on the defensive end, just in terms of the long-term ramifications of the teams that if the Warriors make it a while that they'll, they'll be facing. And Durant is also strong and and this could be relevant in this series if he could get back a little bit as a help defender because Portland has two talented drivers in their guards and Durant will likely have the base assignment on somebody who the Warriors don't really consider that much of a threat. And so in those circumstances, the players, Iguodala is spectacular at this. Those guys usually are have a lot of latitude to help and Durant's length could be a big challenge for Portland to deal with then, especially when they have Vonley on the floor instead of Myers Leonard because if Leonard's out there, then it can garble some things up just because you want to defend him but I want to see how he works in those circumstances and as you said on switches I think those will be good calibrators for where he is physically and while that is not as important for the series I still think they're better for having him just because his presence is something that freaks defenses out and that is a big help for the Warriors compared to what Patrick McCaw did what Matt Barnes did we'll see what ha- what happens with his foot strain and I think that that overall he'll probably be about a neutral in this series but that the flashes will be very important yeah he's looked i mean people might be like oh he's had these huge dunks like he looks like kd what are you talking about nate well yeah he looks good accelerating in a straight line or maybe doing like one move uh i mean he's had one crossover that was was pretty nice on dante exum in the two games that he's been back other than that we haven't seen a ton from him really in terms of just like uh using his body i mean when he's tried to iso he's getting pushed out even further than normal i don't know if he really has the willingness to kind of forget about the injury and really bang inside uh, get position you know we mentioned the, the defense uh Nurkic for his part you know he's got that non-displaced fracture in his tibia talk is that he could return if he's pain-free I mean if I'm the Blazers I don't want to push it he's had some knee injuries before with that torn patellar tendon uh maybe I think my strategy might be if he is getting in the range of coming back to just bring him back for game three in Portland rather than wasting him in kind of a low chance type of uh environment in uh oracle in games one and two so uh, we'll see what happens with him I mean it's hard to imagine he's been able to get much cardio in since uh, uh he, he had that injury because you're supposed to stay off of it allow it to heal so I, I'm uh 
I'm skeptical that he's going to be able to make a big contribution in the series, maybe if the series goes a little bit longer. Uh, what is your official prediction for the series before we move on to uh, Spurs Grizz? Warriors in five, not because I'm trying to hedge, but because I feel that's actually how far the series is going to go. Yeah, I agree with you just because of the explosive nature of Lillard and McCollum, especially at home. They have a good home crowd. This Blazers team has had some real gains where they've blown up on the Warriors at home. Dame Lillard's 51-point game in the regular season last year when they beat the, the Warriors by 30. Game three of the playoffs last year being two examples of that. Uh, so I would ex- expect, and then also just the reintegration of KD, just the Warriors in general trying to figure out how they're really going to play in a playoff environment when so much of this regular season has essentially been an exhibition for them. They, As you mentioned, they haven't had to play their best lineups. Those guys are going to have to start getting some familiarity with each other. Uh, before we move on, let's take a quick break to remind you that J. Cole's For Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film, debuts on HBO this Saturday, April 15th at 10 Eastern, 11 Pacific. This is the Grammy-nominated hip-hop star's second HBO special, a multi-narrative show that combines music performances with intimate interviews documented through Cole's lens. For Your Eyes Only is going to showcase songs from his fourth album, but also reveal footage containing the heartfelt confessions, concerns, and struggles of people in the American South. Traveling through different cities, gathering interviews, Cole reveals the challenges lower-income residents face trying to obtain viable housing, as well as the frustration of felons being barred from voting. Cole captures these stories in Baton Rouge, Atlanta, Ferguson, Missouri, Cole's hometown of Fayetteville, North Carolina, and his father's hometown of Jonesboro, Arkansas, where he focuses on how this small town so closely resembles the rest of the country in its struggles with integration. The album For Your Eyes Only was released in December 2016, debuting at number one and selling 492,000 units in its first week, hailed by the New York Times as one of the year's most finely drawn albums. So tune in Saturday, April 10th, 10 Eastern, 11 Pacific, for the premiere of J. Cole, For Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film exclusively on HBO. All right, let's get to Spurs Grizz here, a series that looks like it's going to be an absolute slugfest. I think we we both agree that that's the case. Neither of these teams really playing that well right now, though. Right. Memphis is one of only two teams, the other one being the Washington Wizards, that are coming into the playoffs in the bottom 10 in net rating since the all-star break so that's a fair marker for why have they struggled so much can we get into that a little bit more a lot of it has been on the defensive end they're allowing 108.9 points behind possessions they've also had a lot of rest from very i mean marcus all missed that time with a foot issue and they've been their rotations have kind of been discombobulated a little bit they've also had very little to play for for the last week or so i haven't seen anything just big structural with them and i think they'll be they'll be able to clean some of that up for the playoffs but i'm also concerned about their offense just in a broad sense because they're so dependent on their best guys and san antonio is very good at taking that away memphis does have one advantage against san antonio and that is marcus souls shooting his ability to pick and pop for three pointers that he's added this year and i think that memphis's starters can actually hang with san antonio's starters a a little bit whether it's gasol deadman those guys aren't really going to be comfortable guarding that gasol conley pick and roll the problem happens when you go to the benches and andrew harrison is still the backup point guard somehow the grizzlies are actually positive with him on the floor that's pretty incredible uh 0.3 net rating with him on the floor 
all year but these are our guys who they're going to be relying on uh, who have not really played much in the playoffs or, or are a little bit older and the Spurs bench while I do think it's a better regular season bench than a playoff bench uh, has so much better of a pedigree than this Memphis bench I would expect these games to be won and lost probably lost in memphis's case in the end of the first quarter beginning of the second quarter end of the third quarter type of situations i'm wondering it what kind of how san antonio is going to manage all this because it looks like we're going to get a lot of zebo versus pal gasol minutes and i could see that going either way though those those circumstances but i'm not also like they've done a lot of this especially in the recent time the pal gasol david lee combo minutes and i'm a little bit skeptical that that's going to work against memphis but i'm not completely sure yeah that'll be another interesting one is memphis will play some stretchier guys jamichael green really doesn't shoot that many threes though and brandon wright has been back he's actually been playing pretty well as the highest net rating on the team are they going to play wright and zebo together i think they get away with that maybe a little more against the spurs than some other teams because the spurs are going to play true traditional bigs most of the time as well so maybe they won't get killed as badly i think maybe it's more an issue of when conley goes out of the game and tony allen guarding Kawhi leonard that's going to be an awesome matchup uh Danny Green presumably is going to guard Mike Conley uh or they might put Kawhi on as well I mean remember last year Danny Green guarded Durant and Kawhi guarded Russell Westbrook a a lot uh so that's not a a given um and also if they wanted to do some switches potentially uh Kawhi can switch on to Gasol a little bit better maybe than Green can so that'll be an interesting strategic question for Greg Popovich and then Tony Parker he's got an easy hiding place on Tony Allen which he doesn't against a lot of teams same thing thing with patty mills as well uh I also want to see who is going to get some of those backup minutes for the Spurs. Greg Popovich said a couple of weeks ago, hey, nobody's really going to change anything in terms of the rotation. And at that time, uh, Kyle Anderson, who has a 10.3 net rating this season, uh, it really seemed to be ahead of Jonathan Simmons in the rotation, you know, that we both like Simmons better than Anderson and Anderson's athletic limitations show up in the playoffs. But uh, I think this is really the perfect matchup for San Antonio. This is not a team that is dynamic enough on either end really to take the Spurs out of their comfort zone, uh, really beat them down athletically, which is the Spurs' biggest weakness. That's a big weakness, and I also want to see, I mean, they've had a lot of comeback wins this year, but the Spurs against a high-octane offense having to come from behind is something that we won't see in this series, but might have to later on, especially if they play the Rockets in the second round. So I don't think that they're ever going to lose contact in this, and I think that, you know, they'll lose contact from being behind, and that's a big advantage. Yeah, that's a great point some of the other strategic issues that could emerge here who is Greg Popovich going to close with he's got a lot of options there if these games are actually close which they may not be uh but this is obviously a different Grizzlies team that then played last year a, a series that I don't think either of us actually watched a minute of because the Grizzlies had had such a skeleton crew but is Greg Popovich going to close with Patty Mills or Tony Parker is he going to close with Pau Gasol or Dwayne Devin presumably Aldridge Green and Leonard are the three constants who are always going to be out there but he's going to mix and match around them I don't imagine again you know we've said that we think that pop is going to need to go to some Kawhi at the four lineups at some point I would be surprised if we saw a single second of those lineups in this series uh, unless they really get down in a certain game maybe he'll go to it to try to juice things up uh, so 
maybe it'll be uh not until the second round against likely the rockets that uh, you know that popovich is really going to be forced to make those kind of hard decisions another factor to to kind of keep an eye on is how popovich man- how each of these coaches manage the minutes of their defensive specialists because particularly this is relevant for the spurs because memphis does not have many creators on the perimeter of their second unit so danny green's minutes and arguably Kawhi's should just basically be lined up perfectly with mike conley's because there's no real benefit to having somebody who's that good of a defender out there in those other moments because you're already going to be shutting them down yeah this is going to be one where i think the tone is really going to be set in game one uh and if memphis can't come out and make it really competitive if they can't just muck the game up get it into being a close game in that first game i think we could see this end up being uh, a bit of a blowout i'm torn between spurs five and spurs six i think i will ultimately go spurs five just due to the home court advantage and the fact that memphis has been playing so poorly even though the spurs as well have really kind of struggled lately even when they have played their guys they, they also know that they have nothing to play for and there's really no indication that the last last 10 games of the season mean anything more than any other 10 game stretch of the season so I I think Spurs 5 would be my pick here I didn't waver in this as much as you did which is you know just the nature of how I feel about this which is that the Spurs I think will eventually face problems because of their reluctance to go outside of two bigs but Memphis is exactly the perfect team for that and the Spurs second unit personnel even though as you said that is overrated or not overrated it is muted into a degree in the playoffs it'll matter in this series and they also have the amazing personnel to slow down Mike Conley, not only with the perimeter defenders, but also with help defenders. LaMarcus Aldridge defensively could do a nice job in this series. Deadman, if he's going to start going in those directions. And so I think that the Spurs, this series is is very favorable for them in a way that I wouldn't have expected if they had gotten OKC or somebody else, even though this obviously is a far different Thunder team than they faced last year. But Memphis plays right into their hands, and I don't think they have the variability necessary to really make this a long series unless I'm really misreading it yeah I I mean I guess the way that it would work in theory is the pace gets slowed down by both teams you know these teams are big running teams uh Tony Allen is able to frustrate Kawhi Leonard and they get just enough offense and the the games are so slow that there are less possessions that it introduces a little bit more variance and and Memphis just is able to uh, win some games in the clutch obviously the Spurs have been great in the clutch this year uh memphis has been great since basically this randolph gasol conley core came together in the clutch so that, that's the formula for Memphis I just I think ultimately Memphis is not gonna be able to score and also Memphis is just is not the defensive team that they've been in their heyday anymore and this is a, a very very good Spurs offense so we'll see I mean how much is Tony Allen gonna play that's gonna be another really interesting question are the Spurs gonna be able to play him off the floor offensively by just not guarding him I don't know if that's gonna work as well because if Tony Parker is just gonna be hiding he's not the sort of help defender whereas you remember the Warriors famously put Andrew Bogut on him or they would put Draymond Green on him or even just a you know a normal size wing with some length who can be a factor as a help defender Parker is really too small to be a factor as a help defender as much so maybe Allen will be able to stay on the floor 
a little bit more uh and guard Kawhi Leonard and if the Spurs can't just go to Kawhi in isolation and and have him get good shots which he can get against just about everybody but maybe Allen can slow him down uh maybe things will be different then uh so that would be the path for Memphis but I I view it even if they can get it going defensively I just don't see them scoring that well against the Spurs team there's one other thing I want to talk about with this series which is Jermichael Green is a restricted free agent after this year, and he is going to have a massive opportunity to show his chops on both ends of the floor against LaMarcus Aldridge. If he has a good series, whether it comes in a surprising win or in just a loss, he can make himself a lot of money. I'm glad you mentioned that matchup because we were remiss in not talking about it. I think Aldridge is getting to the point now, like a a lot of post-up players, maybe Gasol a couple of years ago, Kevin Love is kind of getting to this point too, where now he's not really able against guys who are really his size to be a great option in the post but Jamichael Green is not his size Jamichael Green is really a combo forward uh, so much of Aldridge's game is being able to get position just get that little bump knock the guy backwards and either get in for a jump hook or shoot his turnaround jump shot without a great contest and Aldridge struggles against guys who either have his same type of length or are strong enough to prevent him from backing down I don't think that green falls into either of those categories necessarily so while green does have the mobility to get back into aldridge in the pick and pop situations uh i do think that aldridge could be effective against him in the post we'll see how much the spurs want to go to that matchup and also then whether they have the shooting to punish any kind of double teams on both Kawhi and LaMarcus yeah and I want to see how they use Manu in this series he could be a nice little a nice little change of pace for them in terms of shot creation that could work well yeah I mean they're going to need that really I mean that's the big thing that the Spurs team lacks is playmaking off the bounce I mean I think Parker you know is uh is kind of done at this point I mean we really haven't seen much indication uh from him that he can really even provide much in the way of pick and roll play I mean he's had some moments in the last couple of years but overall looking like like a, a pretty big liability, which, you know, I know people in San Antonio have been killing him and I agree he's not really any good anymore, but the fact that he even made it as to being, you know, like 31, 32 and still being as good as he was given what his game is like, uh, was pretty impressive. I mean, he, this should have been happening to him like three years ago instead of now. So it, I know he's, he is now uh, basically a huge liability, but the fact that he maintained it even this long, he deserves a ton of credit for that. Sure. All right, let's get to the three, six huge. Houston and Oklahoma City, a matchup of what some would consider the two leading MVP candidates, James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Very contrasting styles between these teams, though. Do you want me to start this with my kind of overarching theory and comparison? I have <laughs> no, an idea. No, no, I have, no, an, I have an idea of how this series is going to go. So okay, two, no, years, two years ago in the Western Conference Finals, the Rockets, who were the two seed and nobody thought we were going to make the Conference Finals, faced the Warriors. And the Rockets were pretty much even in that series when James Harden was on the floor and then got absolutely waxed whenever Harden was off the floor. I think that's going to happen here in reverse. I think the Rockets are going to be the team that they hold it even when Westbrook's on the floor. It's pretty close. And then when he he's off the floor that creates the margin that they end up winning games with yeah I mean Samaje Kristen has been one of the worst players in the NBA uh hitting his 11th three and 59 attempts uh to get Russ a triple double against the Nuggets aside um I think another thing that's going to be very interesting here is what Billy Donovan chooses to do in terms of lineups Ennis Cantor someone who's probably going to be a huge liability against some of these awesome shooting lineups 
uh, cancer being on the floor against James Harden. I mean, much like in the series against the Warriors last year, he may just not be able to play that much. Now, they do have some other options. They've got Taj Gibson. I think we could end up even seeing some of Gibson deployed as a small ball center. We haven't seen much of that, but Gibson's ability to switch onto Harden in a pinch, get out to shooters. He's not as elite at it as he was back in his heyday with the Bulls, but still a quality option in that regard. Uh, whether Donovan decides to play like some of his crappy bench guys at all, I mean, he'll he'll play some weird, like Sabonis just shouldn't get a single minute in, of competitive time in this series, right? And he's, Donovan's still kind of been getting him in. Uh, I mean, he, he's just, you know, not a good enough shooter is going to be deer in the headlights uh going to make some mistakes i would imagine like i'd be very surprised if they get even remotely effective play out of him especially if you're going to be playing him without russ on the floor so that'll be an interesting rotational decision for donovan uh how much he's going to play jerry and grant can he play grant and robertson together that's a lineup that's been effective down the end of games because they just say hey russ go score for us and then oladipo grant robertson and, and stephen adams has defended extremely well. I mean, I think Grant could be a key player with his ability to, to switch and get out to shooters as well. So that'll be another thing of whether I, I don't want to call any of their big stretch bigs because, you know, they can't shoot, but at least defensively they're versatile. Or is it going to be Adams and Gibson? I mean, there are a lot of combinations that Donovan can go with. And at least you could say this about OKC that defensively they have a ton of versatility, but you know, I mean, their formula may just have to be, all right, let's just stop them. And then Russ, you're, you go wild and we'll get enough scoring that way. The other central question of this series is something that you talk about a lot with defending Houston, and it's more apt in this series and in the playoffs than it is even in the regular season, which is, can the Thunder stop a Harden, let's say Capella, pick and roll with two guys? They have good personnel for that if they're going to put Robertson primarily on on Harden, which I assume they will. I don't love them in terms of switching some of those matchups, but if they can't pull that off, if they can't figure out the right two guys for that, they're toasty toast in this series. Yeah, I mean, you could even see... Something like Grant at center, Robertson at power forward. Maybe we'll even see that. And the other question is going to be how much are Abrinas, who is coming back from a knee injury, not sure whether he's going to be able to play or not, and Doug McDermott, how much are those guys going to play? Are they just going to be needed to get some shooting on the floor? Or is it just going to be you know, hey, we, we these guys are just going to get killed defensively. We can't have them out there. Uh, and then another question, too, I think, is how much are they going to play Samaji Kristen? If it were me, I would just make Victor Oladipo the backup point guard and just not play Kristen at all as we really get into this. Maybe that wasn't an option during the regular season if you're trying to manage minutes. But, uh, I mean, o Oladipo at least is like some modicum of a threat, uh, unlike Kristen. So uh, that might be something that I would try to. I mean, Norris Cole has played a little bit, but Kristen has kind of beaten him out. Cole, Cole seems like he's kind of done uh, and he wasn't any good to begin with really in, in Miami. Uh, so yeah, I think a lot more of the questions here on Oklahoma City's side, I think that Houston generally has a, a pretty good idea of what they're going to be doing. But what are some of the questions in terms of what units he's going to play for Mike D'Antoni? I think you could talk about this in kind of either perspective, but will they go at all to Ryan Anderson at center? Because they can score in bunches with that sort of a lineup against Oklahoma City. Like, they can they can go in some different directions but then it creates very specific weaknesses against the team run by russell westbrook because he's talented as a driver he's great in yeah, transition i would be very surprised if we saw that lineup 
up at all. I think I think we're going to see Nene closing games most of the time. I think we'll see Nene closing games too, but I, I want to see what D'Antoni tries when he gets challenged. Like what, if the Thunder get out to a lead, like game three of this series, will he try some of this unusual stuff and then will it work? And also I've heard a lot of talk and maybe this is just the nature of seeing things on Twitter about people talk, praising Oklahoma City's defensive talent. They certainly do have a lot of it. Houston has a lot of defensive talent too. They start Trevor Reza, Patrick Beverly, and Clint Capella, all of whom are talented defenders, all of whom could do a very good job in this specific series. And then they have good players coming off the bench. It's not their strength of their bench defense, but they have enough guys to make this all work. And the Thunder, I've felt for a while now, are a wonderful regular season story. But when they face the same team again and again and again, it's such a basic path to victory for them that I feel like a team as good as Houston is going to figure it out. Yeah, we have said that nobody has really taken the ball out of Russell Westbrook's hands except for the Spurs late in games. And if there are close games, you would expect that, especially if they get burned early on in the series, that that's going to start happening and they're going to make some of these other Thunder players make plays. And if they go to this all-defense lineup at the end of games, they could be hard-pressed to do that. Another thing you could say, too, is that someone like Lou Williams, he can stay on the floor against this Thunder team because there's nobody really who's going to hurt him, you know, unless they just go into some small, small pick and rolls to get Lou onto Russ. And that's not something we've seen a ton of from Donovan yet this year. But that might be something he would try to break out a, a little bit as well, just to find the matchup and attack and then just defend on the other end to just k- kind of simplify things. I also think that depending on the lineups used, that Oklahoma City could hurt the Rockets on the offensive glass. Uh, Steven Adams, one of the better offensive rebounders. Capella is a solid defense rebounder, but doesn't have a ton of halves. I think I think Adams could really win that matchup physically. Uh, I think that Cantor against Nay will be an interesting one as well. But if it's Cantor against Capella at times, that uh, and Capella usually comes in to start the second quarter, uh, that Cantor, again, could could really dominate Capella in the post. Um, now, whether Cantor can guard Capella in the pick and roll on the other end is a question. But yeah, just a, a lot of very interesting. Uh, and I think this might be the series outside of Utah Clippers that I'd be most looking forward to in the first round, just to see uh, how it plays out w- with all the other options that, that they can go with uh, on both coaching staffs. I think we'll know a lot more about this series by this time next week. Still, I've had two games, the very involved in all that sort of stuff to see where they shake out. I feel like I will be confident, not certain, but confident in where this is going after game two in terms of whether it's going to be a long series, short series, whether Oklahoma City has a chance to win it. Another thing we should consider too is that I think OKC, and again, this is a nebulous factor, but OKC in terms of their home court has a big advantage in this series. Just, you know, Houston fans are not known as being all that loud this is a first round series they're the favorite whereas oklahoma city's fans are just completely rapid all well, year i'm, I'm gonna push back gonna on that a little bit see this yeah I, as, as, as phenomenal as they were and it will i will remember for the rest of my life how amazing they were for games three and four of the western conference finals last year when things go badly they can turn a little bit and, and turtle and i remember that from a couple of big games this year at home where they just got worked early and that happens but i think you can neutralize their advantage with a strong stretch and houston has the personnel to do that if they go on this run where they make four threes in a row and 
and you're just sitting there going, oh my God, how are we going to stop these people? I think they can suck the life out of the building. And what's important there is I think they can do it with their starting five. Yeah. I mean, it's still better than Houston's crowd though. Oh, of course, of course, of course, <laughs> which of course. Is, which but is my point. So. It, it's it's what I'm, my point is that I think it's less of an advantage based on that, that concept. Of course, I could be wrong and the Thunder could ride that. I, what I'm thinking more there is in terms of game four, like game three, Thunder come out strong, come out gangbusters, have it. And then game four, maybe Houston can, can get a little bit of an early run. And then you start to get to sit there and go, oh, oh crap. Like this is, this is what it is. Who's going to play better in this series, James Harden or Russell Westbrook? James Harden, because I think he has a more versatile game that they that's harder to just stop, especially with his... The foul drawing is going to be different than it is in the regular season just because the way refs officiate changes, but... Yeah, and also just getting used to him as well as a yeah, defender. but they don't have a ton of different guys that I feel comfortable with. I mean, Jeremy Grant is intriguing, but he's young and he's not doesn't really have the right skill set. Robertson is talented. I think he can do well, but I don't trust Oladipo there. I don't trust a lot of their kind of backup guys there. And, so, and Patrick Beverly has plenty of experience on Russell Westbrook, you can argue this is a different Russ than before. I don't really think it is. I think this is more the same Russell Westbrook given a very different opportunity. And Beverly can handle that. And also Houston's centers should be able to at least make things difficult. And they're a team that understands the value of getting back in transition. Yeah, this is a tough question of who's going to play better because Russ is going against the worst defense. Uh, there are definitely specific weak links that can be exploited by him. And I, I'm not sure that Beverly is at the point where he's like like as much of a lockdown guy um, as maybe he was when he was first breaking in. And also just, you know, there's this thing called a screen that can kind of fix that a little bit. Uh, Houston, not a team with great rim protection. So Russ can be foiled by that. But, you know, I, I think we haven't seen he I, I just don't see Oklahoma City struggling to score that much against Houston I mean I think a lot of it's just going to pe- depend on our Russ's threes and I think did Russ actually end up shooting a better percentage on threes than Harden over the course of the year it's pretty close uh eventually yeah Russ was uh 34.4 percent on threes and Harden 34.5 percent <laughs> on three so uh, you know i do think that harden is a better shooter especially off the ball but th- that difference is actually not quite as big as you might think and russ probably even easier for him to get those off uh than it is for harden so yeah it's uh it's going to be really interesting to see the matchup between those two because i think oklahoma city has the personnel maybe outside of any team other than the Warriors has the best personnel to uh, defend Harden, whether it's guys who can switch the pick and roll, Robertson, Grant. I mean, I think think Grant is going to actually have to play a lot of minutes in this series. Uh, And I think you just, you got to try and, I think that, you just trust Russ to score for you. And then if you're just try to do your absolute best to stop him. And so that's why to me, this is a series, as you said, is going to come down to what happens when Russ is out of the game. Eric Gordon, Lou Williams, OKC doesn't have anyone like that. And they don't have the spacing around them either. They don't have the good offensive coaching and system with D'Antoni. Uh, so I do think that the Rockets are going to kill OKC when Russ is off the floor and that that's going to make the difference in uh, quite a few of these games. Is it prediction time? Yeah, I guess since we've gone full circle and i just made the point that you made at the very start of this section (laughs) i'm gonna go rockets and six it's a very hard thing to pick a team to win a a road game six especially with the kind of the talent in this series but i think that it's about the right calibration for the talent involved and i i lean on that more than the specific games because that i just think overall that that'll sort itself out houston is a 
is deeper. I think they can figure out how to how to face Westbrook. But at the same point, it would not surprise me in the slightest if this series went 5-7 or if Oklahoma City won it nasty and in a long series. Yeah, the argument that you could make in favor of the Thunder, we just spent a bunch of time on how bad their bench is. But now Russ can play 41 minutes a game. And they got plenty of long breaks in between these first round games. So, so that'll be critical. And when Russ is on the floor, Oklahoma City starts looking like they're a lot closer to this Houston team and this Houston team has done well in in part because of their depth uh I'm gonna say it's gonna go seven I I don't think that I I think Oklahoma City will probably get worked in game seven it'll be like one of those series but I I could see it I could see it happening I could see Oklahoma City taking one of the first two in Houston uh, Houston having to claw back winning one of game three or four and then uh you know that we end up going seven in this series and I hope it does because I think it's gonna be a fascinating series and obviously seeing Harden and Russ go against each other in the playoffs is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this one and hoping that the days of it are staggered in a way that I can watch as much of it as possible. So we're recording this during the day on Wednesday. Should we risk it, Danny? Should we just do Utah and the Clippers right now and just assume that the Clippers are going to get the home court advantage? Or are you too worried that the Kings could actually pull it off tonight? Hey, I just submitted a draft in my book. If we need to if we need to redo this, I actually have time. So let's let's get it let's get it rolling, assuming that we think we know where this is going. <laughs> And I, I, so it's so, I have a lot of trouble with this series because I am so high on the concept of the jazz that it, it, I have to reconcile that with what they are and then how, what they are fares against the Clippers. Yeah. And, and what their level of health is. I, I do think that I'm feeling a little more optimistic just having seen some of their guys in person twice uh, leading up to this it favors and hood did not play on Monday. They did play against Portland, assuming that neither of them suffered knee soreness as a result of playing in that game, which it might, might be the case. I thought they both looked okay. Uh, favors more offensively than defensively, but Hood had a, a nice stretch against Portland as well. So I, I think those guys can get out there. And then George Hill was spectacular in that game that they won in Oakland on Monday night. Uh, I think he had like 20 points on like nine or 10 shots, shot it really well uh, from three on spot ups. So uh, coming back from that groin issue. So if Utah really has their starters, and, and then the other question to me too is, are they going to start Favors and Gobert together? Or are they going to go with Boris Diaw in the starting lineup? Because Boris Diaw is a massive defensive liability right now. And specifically a massive defensive liability against Blake Griffin and the Clippers. Like that, that's, there isn't really a way to fix that. And I understand, I love the idea of Joe Johnson at center, especially in the backup units, but the Clippers have one of the best starting fives in the league when they're healthy and the only guy who can really counter that in terms of the power forward spot is Blake Griffin. Rudy Gobert can neutralize a lot of it just because they do so much of their damage at the rim. But that gets into the question that I think is central to this series, which is can Utah effectively defend the Chris Paul DeAndre Jordan pick and roll. Yeah, that's going to be a, a question. Now, it's not as intimidating just that one play when Griffin is out there necessarily. And I think we'll probably see usually what it'll end up be is Paul and Griffin doing it with Jordan in the dunker spot. Uh, and well, that's going to be that a problem for the, the case, Jazz though. too. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it will be, but then the, you also have maybe the one man in the league who is best equipped to 
help out on on Blake Griffin on a short roll or, or Chris Paul getting in the lane and then also protect that pass back to DeAndre in Rudy Gobert and, you know I because yeah you mentioned the concept right like the Jazz actually to me match up pretty well with this Clippers team if they're healthy like favor and, and by the way favors has said he's 100% confident in, in his knee Rodney Hood is a go for tonight's game against the Spurs presumably if you're feel, still feeling soreness that he wouldn't be playing in that game so hopefully they do start favors and he can I think I mean Blake Griffin to me if favors is healthy Blake Griffin does not have a huge chance against Derek favors it's just you know what Derek favors are we going to get are we going to get last year's favors are we going to get the guy who has played like you know four healthy games this year are we going to get the guy who's kind of more of a shell of himself and then is favorites going to be able to play big minutes in terms of being a backup center is he going to be limited to like 25 minutes a game can he get up to 30 or 35 and and if the Jazz are healthy, I really like their bench unit going against the Clippers bench because they have guys like Joe Johnson, Joe Ingles coming off the bench who, who can be really effective. Uh, their problems at point guard can be alleviated a little bit. I mean, either Exum or Mack, I think, are going to be big liabilities in the playoffs. But, you know, as long as those guys don't have to guard Chris Paul, I think they'll be okay. Hill is a nice matchup against Chris Paul with his length. Uh, you know, one of the best defensive point guards in the league. And so I think if they can kind of hold steady with their starting unit and then really kill them on the bench, the bench unit doesn't really have uh, anybody who can match up very well with Joe Johnson. If Bob Mute is going to be in the starting lineup and uh, Bob Mute is going to be an offensive liability, I think it, in the playoffs as well we'll see how long he can stay on the floor then also austin rivers who plays some minutes at the three uh he may be you know not ready to go for this series with that hamstring injury we haven't heard anything about him being able to come back yet but you just have to look at the fact that the clippers still have blake griffin and, and chris paul and, and deandre jordan and, and jj reddick as well whose name we haven't mentioned either um and have been playing better than the Jazz lately. And the Jazz just, you know, you never know when one of these guys is just going to have to sit a game out due to a knee injury or George Hill's toe or whatever it is. So uh, assuming that the Clippers are going to have home court advantage, it's it's really a tough call for me. But I, I'm just, uh, I, and you also, you don't see like, I could see the Clippers just winning this series in four or five games if the Jazz just, you know, aren't experienced. They just kind of collapse. They get frustrated. But I don't see... The, any way that the Jazz win this series in that little time. That's a good point. Two things I wanted to say, kind of as, as I was, was really thinking about the series. One, Chris Paul is going to shoot a ton of mid-range shots in this series, just because that's what's going to be open, and he's not going to want to get in the lane as much. And the second one, uh, second unit matchup I'm really going to be fascinated by is Alec Burks guarding Jamal Crawford, because... Alec Burks is, you know, he's still not the guy that Burks all... might not even play a single minute in the series, actually. I mean, I think he will because they're just going to get frustrated with Exum or Mac. But, you know, if Ingles is healthy, they got Joe Johnson coming off the bench. I don't, I mean, Burks I think, has been, I think Quinn like, Snyder is going to lean on him. I, I just think it's going to happen with he's Jamal. He's 10 just... for his last 32 in the restricted area, uh, which which is, Thank you, I'm Dave sorry, no, he's, yeah, well, uh, no, he's now 11 for his last 33. Because uh, he made that one. Just cannot finish at all. And he's just, you know, it kind of he's like Derek Rose light now where he can get to the basket and just can't finish after all of his injuries and kind of a spacey defender. So I do think that the backup point guard and maybe one of the backup wing slots is could be a little bit of a concern if you're thinking of Joe Johnson as the backup four. And then also like, is Quinn going to play Boris Diaw? I, I think he should just not really play him at all. But, uh, you know, I think we're going to see more of him. And then uh, then that pushes someone out of the rotation. I think they could get worked when he's out there. Yeah, that's that's certainly possible. And also just the prospect of the 
Jazz needing the series of George Hill's life in order to really keep this competitive. Chris Paul is a, a phenomenal talent and I think can really impose his will in this series. What not only whenever George Hill is not on when he's off the floor, but also when he's not right. And George Hill is notorious for being not right. Like that's just something that I, I that as much as I love him, that has just become part and parcel to his story. So I love the Jazz. I love the concept of the Jazz, but I think the the Clippers are going to win this series due to the just the greater resilience and more their higher floor than anything involving their ceiling. Yeah, that's a a good way to look at it too. Jamal Crawford is also going to be a key figure in this series. He always kills the Jazz. You remember that game that ended up keeping them out of the playoffs last year when the Clippers brought the skeleton crew and, and they Jamal Crawford basically single-handedly he and Rivers basically single-handedly beat the Jazz in overtime when they're playing all their guys so it's uh it's going to be really interesting to see, especially without Rivers on the floor. You know, are they going to go with Wes Johnson a, a lot? Can Bob Mute stay on the floor? And Bob Mute does do a really nice job on Gordon Hayward. That's another reason that, it, you know, you mentioned that it's going to be really important for Hill. But, you know, Chris Paul is one of the best defensive point guards. He can make it pretty difficult for him, too. Uh, and then where are they going to go for offense? Is it going to be Hood against Redick? Is he ready for that kind of responsibility? Can Joe Johnson score some points on the second unit? Just so many question marks here due to the health, the fact that the Jazz are this great team on paper, as you said. But uh, what do you think would be the closing lineup for the Clippers in these games? Are, are they going to have Bob Mute out there? Are they going to go with you know someone like Crawford at the three or Rivers if he's healthy? I think Doc's going to play the hot hand, but Luke Richard and Bob Mute could have a big series on Gordon Hayward. He is limited offensively, but I think that's a matchup he can do well with. And with Austin, I I honestly would have thought it would be Austin Rivers if he were 100%, but considering we don't know that right now, I'm going to I'm going to lean Luke but say Doc is going to go Doc's going to go with whoever he thinks is playing well in that game, but we've seen him do that the whole year. He'll just like play yeah, a know, bench lineup I, I because he thinks they're good. I don't recall them using Bob Mute at the end of any of the games that I watched this year that were close. Close that were Clippers yeah, games. it doesn't it doesn't so, happen very much. But Gordon Hayward no. is a different type of guy. I I, I could yeah, see and with, getting... with Rivers out too. I mean, do you really exactly? I mean, Crawford on Hayward like that's not something where you're, and Reddick on Hayward isn't I mean, any better. Yeah, and the Jazz do. It's just it's odd, right? Like the Jazz, you could see them having like a slight advantage at a lot of positions, but it's just the star power of this team. And maybe we're underrating Rudy Gobert as a star as well. I mean, this he's going to be really motivated for this series with DeAndre Jordan having unjustifiably made the all-star team over him. Uh, And then whether we get DeAndre engaged too will be a big thing, right? Is he going to be consistent enough defensively to really rise to the challenge of Gobert, who does bring it every time uh, defensively? This is going to be a great series. I, I it might not be great game to game, but just for people like us who want to see this, and the a big concern for me also is that generally speaking, we see young teams or neophyte teams struggle their first time in the playoffs. It happens a lot, and this Jazz team does have some guys who have gone through those wars before, but. As an as a unit, it hasn't really happened much, and so it could be a circumstance kind of like what would have happened last year in Portland series if the entire Clippers team hadn't gotten hurt, where, you know, they kept it competitive and kept it feisty, but the Clippers were going to pull it out, and then Blake Griffin got hurt, Chris Paul got hurt, and the thing went in a diff- different direction. That's why I'm leading Clippers in six, but I'm totally unsure. I want to see, too, how the Clippers are going to defend the pick and roll. Against Portland, you remember, they really messed them up for a lot of that series by having DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin really get out on the pick and roll 
I don't know that this Jazz team quite has uh, that kind of threat of guys shooting off the dribble where they really would want to go that route. And also the Clippers have been a team that switched a lot as well. And the Jazz, for having a bunch of good players, don't really have anyone that you would look at who's just going to kill switches uh, among their main guys. Maybe Derek Favors could be that guy. But again, I mean, he's been out the whole year. Can they really reintegrate him back in that quickly? Is there going to be the space for him to do anything? Uh, So I think we might see the Clippers doing some switching and really causing problems for the Jazz. We saw actually the Blazers have a lot of success with that strategy on Saturday. Um, So yeah, so many interesting things, so many good players. I just hope everyone could be healthy. Rivers, uh, I just just checked up on it. He is not expected back until sometime during the playoffs for, uh, uh, that's per Broderick Turner of the LA Times. Uh, All right, official prediction time here. I said Clipper, I I think it's Clippers in six. And one other point I wanted to bring up is that the Jazz also are not going to challenge the the Clippers in transition as much. And while they've been pretty good in terms of getting back, I think that negates one of the, like one of the possibilities of, of downside for the the Clippers and the Jazz just aren't going to push it. I do think the Clippers will win. I'm just trying to decide how many games. Uh, screw it. I'll go seven. I'm, I'm going to just decide to believe in, in this Jazz team and, and, and what they can do together. The experience things, the injury things, give me pause. Uh, but uh, they've got a lot of good players on their team. And, and the Clippers' depth is a little questionable. Um, so I will go seven. But I think, you know, certainly if I, what is more likely, you know, Jazz winning the series or Clippers in less than seven games and maybe a lot less than seven games, I would certainly go in, in that direction. All right, we done here? Yeah, I'll, I'll make a quick plug. I forgot to do this yesterday that for Locked on Warriors, I did a, a fun conversation with Marcus Thompson, who just released his book on Stephen Curry. We talk about that a fair amount, but we also talk about the team and the playoffs and everything else. I think people would enjoy it. All right, we are going to be doing, remember, Twitter NBA show. It looks like the Warriors are probably going to play early on Saturday. So hopefully we'll be back at the awesome live studio, i.e. my office, to record the Twitter NBA show live because it's not really recording it at that point uh for one of the late games on saturday and then sunday you know we'll probably be trying to do maybe even the fourth quarter of most of these games and then we'll pick one or two to just do the entire game on also we'll be doing that twitter nba show post game as well part of which will show up on dunked on but we'll of course give you some extra content there as well to make it worth listening to the podcast in addition if you happen to catch the show but please check that out go into the twitter mobile app follow me on periscope at nate duncan nba or hit the bell next to my at nate duncan nba profile on twitter and that'll give you the option to do a live alert whenever we go with uh live video so we're hoping to make this you know a thing build up an audience please tell your friends about that give us a retweet if you see it uh tweet it out and uh we will be back next time thanks again so much to our sponsors stamps.com use that cap space code for a four-week trial that includes postage and a digital scale and the hbo special j cole for your eyes only tune in saturday april 15th 10 eastern 11 pacific talk to y'all next time Thanks again to our episode sponsor, J. Cole, for your eyes only, a Dreamville film. The Grammy-nominated hip-hop star's second HBO special, which debuts Saturday, April 15th, 10 Eastern, 11 Pacific, on HBO. The special showcases songs from his fourth album, as well as revealing footage containing the heartfelt confessions, concerns, and struggles of people in the American South. Traveling through different cities, gathering interviews, Cole reveals the challenges lower-income residents face trying to obtain viable housing and the frustration for felons being barred from voting. So tuned in Saturday, April 15th, 10 Eastern, 11 Pacific, for the premiere of J. Cole, For Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film exclusively on HBO. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.